This is Perspectives, the show where a conversation about our differences often shows us more about what we have in common. I'm Condes Presley. Joining me now for today's show is Archie Jones. He is an accomplished investor, advisor, podcast host, and educator. Jones and his team have launched their first ever podcast. It's called Training Camp for Leaders with Archie Jones. Archie, good to see you. Welcome to Perspectives and the world of podcasting, broadcasting. Thank you so much. Great to see you, Candice. So tell me a little bit more about the inspiration behind starting Next Gen Coach Network and the mission that you serve there. You know, um, thanks for the question. Great question. You know, it really started uh, an organization you and I both know well, Leadership Atlanta. Um, so I was in class of 2018. So about 2017, as I was in the program, I had the wonderful opportunity to stop and evaluate where I was on my own leadership journey. And one of the great sessions uh, on leadership asked the question of when are you happiest and most effective? Uh, I think we did some surveying around that. They talked to folks we had worked with before, friends and colleagues. And the answer for me that came back, it was when I was teaching or coaching. Um, and not incidentally, that was not my day job at the time. And so it I never was, is. <laughs> I was operating as a CFO of a fintech company at the time and really started to go through this, this period of self-discovery or self-questioning of, well, if I'm only spending 20% 20, 20 of my time coaching in any form, that includes coaching my sons in Little League, um, and that's given me tons of enjoyment, why am I not doing that if I can't get all the way to the 80% the other way, uh, at least move the needle towards 50% or greater? And I started thinking very differently about my board service and my work there. Uh, and actually started down the path that now led to, I teach uh, entrepreneurship at the Harvard Business School. And so really starting to lean into full-time, again, across a portfolio of activities to start to leverage that, that coaching bug and that coaching superpower that I have. And for the thousands of Atlantans who have had that opportunity to go through the Leadership Atlanta program, it does prove to be transformational for everyone who genuinely leans into that experience. And stories like yours are not uncommon. Very true. Very true. It is. Uh, it was a pivotal. It was a pivotal uh, event for me, for sure. So now this podcast, Training Camp for Leaders, uh, you're seeking to provide actionable advice to aspiring leaders. So talk to me more about that. And what are you wanting your listeners to gain from it? Yeah, well, you know, you, uh, you're, you're a Georgia fan. And so football has got to be on your recipe. And so there's something special that happens in training camp. For me, um, Leadership Atlanta was a bit of a professional training camp where you could take some time away from quote unquote on the field activities to, to work on your game, so to speak. Um, and so what I'm doing with the podcast is offering that opportunity widely and broadly for other folks to A, get educated on some things that they didn't know before, some opportunities they hadn't heard of, to maybe get inspired by the stories of some other leaders. And then hopefully, and maybe most importantly, be empowered with either some of the tools, frameworks, uh, or even advice that they're given as a part of the podcast to go out. And actually, my real hope is that they dream a little bit bigger or lean into their dreams and then get a little more effective and confident in how they actualize or uh, go after those dreams. And so that's really the goal of the podcast. I think the only other thing that's worth mentioning there as well is it increases the reach. 
Uh, and so I'm spending a lot of time. I get to coach at the Harvard Business School. I get to coach in a number of relatively small settings of 100 people. Um, how do I get that message to folks who I may never get into the same room with? And so the podcast is is hopefully a tool. Uh, that's my wish and my goal is that is it a tool to reach folks who we may not cross paths uh, directly, but you can hear some of those same messages, sharing some of those insights from those leaders. So your first episode, even coaches need coaches. Talk to me a little bit about the importance of coaching in leadership development. Yes, we are in football season and we see what good coaches are able to do and uh, what coaches who are, are getting coached are doing. Uh, but for you anyway, talk to us about the importance of it in the, your development as a leader, both personally and professionally. Yeah. You know, one of the, one of the things I'm fond of uh, saying, I call it an archeism is the answers in your network. And so, and if you don't have the person to call, um, then that means you've got some work to do on your network, but the answer is still in your network. And so well, with that first podcast, it did two things. One, while I've had some success and, and, and some accomplishments, it never happens alone. And so one of the folks, uh, Jamie Connolly, who was my first guest, is also a Leadership Atlanta classmate. Um, he was pivotal on my board journey. Uh, he advises board of directors um, across the globe and uh, has been very helpful in helping me think about how to get onto my first public company board. And so uh, the biggest thing for coaches, and I think the biggest thing about coaching, coaching is that you've got to be coachable. You've got to be open to the advice. While you may know a lot, uh, and while you may be expert in some areas, you can always learn something from folks who either come at it from a different path or, or have the advantage of some different context or relationships. Absolutely. I believe in being a sponge and knowing that you you absorb everything in every interaction, <laughs> every situation, there will be something you'll be able to wring out of yourself and use at a later date. You said something really important just a moment ago, Archie, about the answer being in your network. Let's take a couple of minutes and talk a little bit about what uh, the differences between a professional and a personal network. And if you've got some work to do in either of those areas, how do you go about doing it? Great question. Um, and I'll, I'll add, uh, along with the podcast, another way that I'm looking to reach out uh, to a broader audience is I'm actually writing a book as well. And some of that is going to, some of these some of these tips and tricks or ways to increase your game, so to speak, will be in there. Um, but in this, in this particular area around network, um, and I've got five C's uh, that I talk about under leadership capital, connection is one of them. And so how do you create these connections? And so I think the, the thing that it gets missed a lot and one of my best pieces of advice is we've all bring something special to the table. We've all got some special talents and some special gifts. Actually, before you're leveraging your network to ask for help, I love to start the other way of offering help. What is it that I can do for you? And, and where I've been surprised and amazed is even folks who I think uh, you know may have more contacts than I do, more financial capital than I do, they're more accomplished, if you will, in their career, everybody is open to some help. And so if you start the conversation, not from a uh, deficit of how can you help me, but how can I help you? How can I leverage my superpower on your benefit, to your benefit? Uh, it makes for a different ask. And I think it actually makes it easier for you to then come back and make your ask. Uh, because it's from a position of strength. So that'd be number one. 
is is lean into what your superpower is and know that you've got something to bring as well as uh, what you're asking for. I think the other thing I, I I love to get folks comfortable with is asking for their order, right? Too often we we kind of dance around it and uh, whisper or sheepishly ask for what it is we want. I've got some pivotal moments in my life where I actually asked for what it is I really wanted and was fortunate enough to have the right people on the other side of the table who so were really it? interested and able to help me. And so you got it? Can you tell I, us that's how I got it? I did. Is there a story you can share? There's a great, there's a great story I can share. I was um, coming out of Morehouse. Um, the goal was to go to Wall Street, and had job offers to go to the top firms doing mergers and acquisition, which is what I thought I needed to do to get to private equity. That you had to kind of have that two step, right? You've got to go advise people on deals before you can run deals, and um, so I had offers from the two firms I thought I would do M&A with, but kept a good relationship. I knew the recruiter at Merrill Lynch and said I was going to finish the process there, even though it was low likelihood that I was going to take that offer. And I'm in that interview and I get asked the question, why do I want to do M&A? And I launch into um, a long answer around that I really didn't want to do M&A. I really wanted to do private equity. And that was my gate to get there. And why I wanted to do private equity and why I thought that would be great and pivotal. What I didn't know is the person sitting across the table, uh, who I actually, I'll see at a reunion next week, um, was from Merrill Lynch Capital Partners. And they would come to this broader analyst pool, find two people who were interested out of this 100-person investment banking class, and take them up to Midtown to work in uh, at Maryland's Capital Partners in the private equity group. And so I got to write out of undergrad at Morehouse, uh, ask for the order and get to work directly in private equity. And the thing I share with, with leaders that I'm talking to there is, unfortunately what happens, and it, and it happened in this case, I didn't feel like I had anything to lose. And so I felt a little bold to making that ask. I think we end up usually asking for what we really want in two circumstances. One, we think we don't have anything to lose. Um, or we've got, we feel so, you know, all the cards are lined up for us, or we've got the, you know, the whole world behind us and the wind at our back. Um, or and we ask for and, and we ask for the order that way. Uh, but it's, you know, my my development, I think the other develop the development you were talking about from a networking standpoint is um make sure that you ask for what it is you want because um, there's a chance you might get it. You're a Harvard Business School professor. In your experience there, talk to me about some of the key lessons you aim to impart to your students as it relates to entrepreneurial leadership. And so, you know, the definition we use around uh, at the Harvard Business School on entrepreneurship is the pursuit of opportunity without regard to resources controlled. And so it's this idea of thoughtful risk-taking. And so trying to have students think about what their risk profile looks like too often, and this isn't unique to HBS, I think it's uh, it's universal in some, in some regards, we overstate in our minds the risk and understate the potential rewards for going after the things that we really wanna do. You're saying so we hold ourselves back, is that what you're we saying? We hold ourselves back, that's exactly right. And then I link that back to confidence having the confidence to actually go after what it is you really want. And so I spend most of my time trying to help them find small wins, ways to build that confidence um, so that they can actually go after the thing that they really want to do 
uh, versus the thing that they think they can get. I shared with some students uh, just last week because uh, it crossed my mind as, as I was getting ready for this presentation to students around career planning. And I asked the question, what happened to the, the idea of the stretch, the stretch school? When you were applying to colleges, right? you had your schools you thought you could certainly get into. Um, you had your safety school of, you know, if I can't get into anywhere else, I can always go there. And then there was this idea of a stretch school, right? Schools where I may not have all of the credentials, whether it's the GPA or the SAT score or whatever else it may, or all the extracurricular activity, but I'm going to reach out and I'm going to apply for something that I don't on paper look like I deserve to get. And that, for some reason, we haven't done that many of us since, since we applied to college. And so I challenged them to find some stretch schools in your professional and personal life today and ask for something that's a little bit beyond what it is you think you deserve. Because I think just like you said, we hold ourselves back and we underask, if you will, um, in many cases. Archie, whether it's your students or experienced leaders that you're coaching, do you have a different approach when it comes to coaching men versus coaching women? I ask this because in my experience, when it comes to that ask, oftentimes women want to make sure women leaders, that is, want to make sure all the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed, and I am absolutely prepared for this next opportunity, whereas a guy will be, yeah, I'm about halfway there. I'll figure it out on the job. <laughs> How do you coach to that? You know, I, it was, it was uh, in, a, in a talk I gave recently, uh, and, and I still struggle with it, um, you know, this idea of stop chasing credentials and stop chasing credibility for things that you already believe that you can do. And so I find myself, so the coaching that I give um, leaders and particularly I think women leaders, because I agree with you that there is this, um, this belief that you've got to, you know, again, have all the I's dotted and, T and T's crossed, you know, is, is this idea that, you know, you ought to be able to demonstrate you will already been demonstrating in most cases, here's what I can do, right? Your resume for it is already in the actions that you've taken. It's already in the work that's already been done. You don't have to show up with an additional credential. And I shared this story um, with them, with them, with the students group of leaders last week is, you know, when I went to teach at the Harvard Business School, I'd never taught anywhere, right? And not formally, right? I went to the Harvard Business School, so I sat in the other side, I'd served as a protagonist on some cases, so I'd been in the classroom. And so that idea, and I shared this with students last week, if I had gone through what I thought would have been a reasonable credentialing process, go teach somewhere for three, five years, maybe go get a teacher credential, if not a PhD, right? I, I wouldn't have been teaching for the last four years. The students that I've been able to educate, inspire and empower would have never happened while I'm trying to gather up credentials to get ready to do what I already know I can. And so again, back to this confidence piece and what they've already been doing and then leveraging what I call the on the job at work resume that you've already got. You've got folks around you and they're good back to the network. Folks are seeing the work that you're doing. Um, and I think that speaks louder for you than the next credential, um, you know, the next outside kind of extra piece of credibility that you can pick up.
Now, Archie, you're known for having impact uh, in the social space. You've worked with organizations like Year Up and New Profit. Talk to me about the role of social impact in leadership development and why that is especially important to you. I, um, you know, the social impact piece starts uh, starts at home. Uh, so I was, uh, I'm the son of a, my mom was a school teacher. Dad was an accountant turned uh, entrepreneur. And so you see the two sides of, of me. I am a Gemini, by the way, so I can carry both of those. Um, but the social impact piece, I think, started before I even really realized it. Watching mom uh, as a school teacher in the inner city, spending her own money to take care of students or decorate the classroom or extra hours, maybe even bringing some of those students home on, on some weekends, really investing in them um, before that was a popular thing or known. And so, you know, while I started my professional career as a for-profit investor creating financial return, it was actually at um, at Harvard Business School working on the business plan for New Profit. New Profit, by the way, is about to celebrate its 25th anniversary um, later this year. It was an idea back in 97, 98. And social entrepreneurs looking for ways to scale nonprofits. How do I have more social impact? How do for every dollar spent or, or unit of energy spent, how do I get more social impact out of it? And we pulled together an idea team and I was sharing principles from the investing world. What can we learn from how we scale for-profit investments, how we do the due diligence, how we monitor, how we add on investment, how we bring on, you know, subsequent capital. And so that became a new profit, which really was some of the beginning of the venture philanthropy sector. And so that's where, and social impact movement. And so it was a light bulb went off for me that the thing that I was doing as a day job investing for high returns, I could apply some of that to some social ills. And so the, some of the skills of how to do due diligence, how to vet a concept, how to support leaders and coach leaders. And so as a part of that, I've been coaching social sector leaders alongside of coaching for-profit leaders. Um, and there's a lot, there's some differences, but there's a lot of similarities in terms of the skills uh, and the help that they need in order to accomplish their goals. How do you see the landscape of leadership evolving as we move forward? And what advice do you give to emerging leaders who are looking to navigate the changes that are coming successfully? Yeah, I think the I think that there's two there's two things that come to mind. One is the role of technology um, and and how that's going to impact. I think that's going to for leaders that's going to make. Uh, some of the what I'll call rote or um, more tactical analyses pretty easy to do, and it's going to come to judgment. And so one of the things I, I tell each leader is that they've got to work on. I tell this to the business school students. Well, you can take a bunch of courses and a lot of things. I spent all my time trying to manage people or negotiating something. And so your ability to have these people skills, once it's off the spreadsheet or once uh, chat GBT is giving you what the answer could be or should be or the eight different ways you can think about it. Somebody's got to make a decision. And even in, you know, I talked a case yesterday around, uh, you know, a particular merger. And what you keep coming back to is mergers and acquisitions work not just because what mostly not because what happened on the spreadsheet, but how do you integrate those cultures? How do you bring those people together? And so I think where and the troublesome part of that is. Um, some of some of technology is having us spend less time together and more time online. 
And so this ability to actually interact with people, this ability to pick up on the, the soft skills or to pick up on the cues, uh, to have that EQ, if you will, is what I tell, you know, or that emotional um, quotient there is, is what I tell leaders that they need to spend more time on. How do you relate to other people? And half of that is actually getting more confident about who you are, where you come from, what you bring to the table. Because I think it's very difficult for you to be open to others' ideas, open to other cultures, open to other perspectives, if you're insecure in who you are. And so a lot of times it's got to be built into building the confidence inside of you before you can go and actually create some, some deep, meaningful, and mutually beneficial relationships. And I think you just said something there, something especially impactful for our young leaders coming up who are so accustomed to looking face down into that phone <laughs> as opposed to having the head up and making eye contact with somebody. You're telling us that even with all the technological changes and AI and everything else that is coming our way, uh, this is still all about people and relationships and all the things you can know, learn and and practice, people skills will still be the most important. Amen. I agree. Yes, that's what I'm saying. Earlier, you mentioned your one of your fives. We talked about confidence. You say you got five C's, capacity, culture, communication, connection and confidence. Elaborate for me before we run out of time on the sure. of each of those. Sure. So uh, my capacity is capability. That's right. I can read, but not really. <laughs> so capability is the first one. Knowing your superpower, knowing what it is that you bring special to the table. Culture is the next one. Um, being confident in who you are and actually recognizing the assets in your journey and in your heritage. That's a little bit of what I talked about in the last question of being comfortable in your own skin and more than com comfortable, confident that you bring something special to the table. Connection. We talked about the answer being in your network, how to create effective, mutually beneficial relationships, communication, telling yourself a different story about who you are before you tell that story to somebody else. I think of that one as a two-parter. You got to tell yourself that confident, positive story and then tell that story externally. And then last but not least, confidence, um, which, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a quote that I love on... Uh, that says the cave you're afraid to enter holds the treasures you seek. And so identifying what that treasure is and then also uh, identifying what that cave is and starting to figure out how you're going to make your way into that cave to get that treasure. This podcast, Training Camp for Leaders with Archie Jones, is just one of several offerings from your Next Gen Coach Network. Give me a sneak peek into some of the upcoming projects or initiatives you got in the pipeline you want folks to know about. Sure. Um, I talked about the book. So the book is called The Treasure You Seek. It'll be out uh, available towards the end of the year, the end of 2023. We've got, I talked about our governance training camp, which we're pulling together now. You can see that on our website as well. Uh, and we've got many great guests coming on from uh, on the podcast. So we started out focusing in on governance. It will start to it will evolve and expand and to include entrepreneurship, both for profit and social entrepreneurship, and maybe most importantly, entrepreneurship. Those folks who are inside of organizations uh, and need to maximize opportunities inside of those. So those are the main things that we've got uh, coming up here shortly. Archie, how can people connect with you? Yes, the easiest way. Uh, everything connects through the website. 
So www.nextgencoachnetwork, and that's N-X-G-E-N coachnetwork.com. And you can find the podcast wherever you get your podcast. Archie Jones, good to see you. Thanks so much. And congratulations on all this great work that you're doing. Thank you, Candice. Perspectives is a community and public affairs program produced with you in mind. If there's a guest or an issue you'd like to hear me explore, I hope you'd let me know. The easiest way to connect with me is on social media. Just slip me a DM or send me a message. Search Condace Presley on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. And yeah, I know you're asking, how do you spell Condace? C-O-N-D-A-C-E. And Presley has two S's. That's P-R-E-S-S-L-E-Y. Friends, I appreciate your listening. Be sure to listen again next week at the same time as we explore new perspectives. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.